0: Welcome to Small Biz Brainiac, providing employer intelligence that helps you navigate the regulatory landscape and keep you on course running the business you love. Here's your host, Thomas Rock Lindsey. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 122. This is Employee Severance Agreements. I am your host, Thomas Rock Lindsay, and this is the podcast that delivers employer intelligence two days each week in short 7-10 to 10 minute episodes. I deliver the Tuesday show, and my co-host, Robert Attridge, delivers the Thursday show. So I was talking to a friend this weekend, and she told me about a recent employee termination experience. Her employee didn't show up for work one day, so she called her, and the employee said that she didn't want to work any longer due to health issues. So basically, this was a voluntary termination. So my friend paid out all the accrued earnings, including sick and vacation time, and had her employee sign a release form. However, there was no severance payment made. Now, before I continue, this is one of those episodes where I need to remind you that I'm not an attorney, and I'm not providing legal advice. So here's what you need to understand about releases. The release is is really a severance agreement. Now, they're also commonly referred to as separation agreements or termination agreements. But whatever you call them, it's a contract. And this contract is a waiver of the employee's right to sue you. So a release without a severance payment really won't hold any water. Because in order for a contract to be valid, there has to be an exchange of value. You've got to provide consideration in exchange for the employee's waiver of their rights to sue, and that consideration is usually cash. But what if your employee is already entitled to severance pay, either by law or contract? State law, an employment agreement, or even your employee handbook could obligate you to pay severance. And if that's the case, you'll have to provide consideration above and beyond what the law or contract requires in order for the severance agreement as it relates to the employee waiving their rights to be valid. So yes, some states or territories require severance for termination without cause, like Puerto Rico. In Puerto Rico, you're required to pay a fairly hefty severance package And that's even after these major labor law reforms that they had earlier this year. So again, in Puerto Rico, you are required to pay a severance for termination without cause. In fact, Puerto Rico is so wacky that I'm going to do episode 124 on their labor laws. So be sure to catch that episode because even if you don't have employees in Puerto Rico or Puerto Rico, it's still going to be interesting. So your 7th agreement needs to be well written. It, It doesn't need to be long and complicated. In fact, it needs to be readable, understandable, and clear to your employee. If the agreement's poorly written, then you'll be at a huge disadvantage because the court's going to always give more weight to your employee's argument if they decide to dispute it, since they weren't the ones to write it and they had the least bargaining power. So if it's confusing, then it's more likely to be open to interpretation, and the court will interpret it to your employee's advantage. The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, or the EEOC, provides several examples of what a severance agreement looks like. And they say that most employees don't challenge their severance agreements, so if your employee does end up filing a claim after signing a severance agreement, then they have to go get the court to declare that the agreement is invalid before they can proceed with that claim. So it's important that the agreement is done correctly. Severance agreements are generally good if your employee knowingly and voluntarily consents. If they did, and you're paying a reasonable consideration, and you're not asking them to waive future rights, and the agreement doesn't violate state and federal law, then you'll be safe. According to the EOC, here's what the court's going to look at when deciding if the severance agreement is valid. Whether the agreement is written clearly and specific enough for your employee to understand it based on their level of education and experience, and that's important, based on their level of education and experience. Whether you induce them by fraud, duress, or undue influence to sign it, whether your employee had enough time to read and think about it before signing, whether your employee consulted an attorney, or if you encouraged or discouraged them from getting legal advice, whether they had any input in negotiating the terms of the agreement, and whether you paid them enough for the waiver of their rights. So here's an example. An employee was informed by his company that was downsizing that he had 30 days to elect either voluntary or involuntary separation. The employee chose voluntary separation in exchange for severance pay and some additional retirement benefits, and he signed a waiver which said, I hereby release and discharge my employer from any and all claims for which I might have arising out of or related to my employment or resignation or termination. So then the employee later filed suit alleging that he was terminated based on his race and national origin. And the court found that the waiver was not knowing and voluntary, that the employee signed it not knowing and, and, and it was involuntary. Now the court did say that although the language in the agreement was clear and unambiguous, it failed to specifically mention the release of employment discrimination claims. And because the employee was only high school educated and because he was unfamiliar with the law, his argument that he believed that he was only releasing claims arising from the voluntary termination and the benefits package that he accepted was, in the court's opinion, not an unreasonable conclusion. So the agreement needs to be written so that it's understandable to your employee based on their level of education and it needs to be more specific than This any and all claims arising out of or related to employment or resignation or termination. That's too vague. Now, if you want to be released from age discrimination claims under the Age Discrimination and Employment Act, then there are some additional rules that you need to follow. And these rules were baked into another act called the Older Workers Benefit Protection Act of 1990. So here's what you have to do for that. So the waiver must specifically refer to rights or claims arising under the ADEA, which is the Age Discrimination in Employment Act. And the EEO regulations specifically state that an Older Workers Benefit Protection Act waiver must expressly spell out the Age Discrimination in Employment Act by name. So the waiver must also advise the employee in writing to consult an attorney before accepting the agreement. And a waiver must provide the employee with at least twenty-one days to consider the offer. That twenty-one day period starts running from the date of your final offer. So if you make a material change to the offer at some point, then that twenty one day period starts over. And the waiver must give the employee seven days to revoke their signature, so Seven days after they sign it, they could come back and retract it. And there's no exceptions to that rule. And finally, a waiver must not include rights and claims that may arise after the date that the waiver is executed. This provision basically bars waiving rights regarding new acts of discrimination that occur after the date of signing, such as a claim that that an employer retaliated against the former employee, who filed a charge with the EEOC by giving an unfavorable reference uh, to a prospective future employer. And one other thing that you shouldn't do is you shouldn't include any restrictions that are unenforceable or excessive. Now, most of the time this happens with the confidentiality and non-compete terms that are sometimes added into a severance agreement. And that's kind of another topic in and of itself, talking about confidentiality agreements and non-competes. And so finally, to wrap this up, I think it's a great idea to go and read the EEOC's employee checklist called What to Do When Your Employer Offers You a Severance Agreement. It's actually a great reference guide and a reminder to you of the important elements that have to be in your severance agreements. Well, there you have it. Remember, if you have any employer-related questions, don't hesitate to ask. Just go to smallbizbrainiac.com, scroll down to the Got Questions section, and let us know. And either Robert or I will get back to you with a rock-solid reply. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.